Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these first podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and why this stuff changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. One of the great mysteries of biology is how cells communicate with each other. The standard scientific view these days is that DNA, that blueprint of the body's proteins and amino acids, somehow manages to spearhead all the body's dynamic activities. It's supposed to do this by selectively turning off and on certain segments of DNA or genes whose nucleotides or genetic instructions in turn select from a large alphabet of amino acids the genetic words that create specific proteins. These proteins are then supposedly able to both build your body and to switch on and off all the chemical processes inside the cell, which ultimately control how everything in your body runs. Where scientists fall short is explaining how DNA knows when to orchestrate this and how these chemicals, all blindly bumping into each other, can operate more or less simultaneously. Just think about it. Every cell undergoes, on average, some 100,000 chemical reactions per second. And that's a process that repeats itself simultaneously across every cell in the body. So if DNA's the control room, where's the feedback mechanism enabling individual gene and cell activities to act in unison? And if all these actions are due to simple chemical collisions between molecules, How can it work rapidly enough to account for all the sophisticated behaviors all living beings exhibit every minute of their lives? In fact, if these occurrences are due to chance, as modern scientific theory says, there's little statistical hope of their happening within the universe of the cell. The average cell contains one molecule of protein for every 10,000 molecules of water. This means that molecules jostle around the cell, a bit like a handful of tennis balls floating about in a swimming pool. A number of frontier scientists, particularly those I described in the field and the intention experiment, believe that the heart of cell communication is not a haphazard chemical reaction, but an energetic frequency on the quantum level. In 1970, while investigating a cure for cancer, the late German physicist Fritz Albert Popp stumbled upon the fact that all living things, from single-celled plants to human beings, emit a tiny current of photons, tiny particles of light. He labeled them biophoton emissions, and he believed he'd uncovered the primary communication channel of a living organism, and that it used light as a means of signaling to itself and the outside world. Pop believed that this faint radiation, 
rather than biochemistry, is the true driving force in orchestrating and coordinating all cellular processes in the body. Light waves offer a perfect communication system able to transfer information almost instantaneously across an organism. It also explains how our bodies manage to carry out tasks within different body parts simultaneously. Pop theorized that this light must be like a master tuning fork, setting off certain frequencies that would be followed by other molecules of the body. With the help of one of his students, Pop constructed a machine called a photomultiplier that was able to capture this light and count it, photon by photon. After years of impeccable experimentation, he demonstrated that these tiny frequencies were mainly stored and emitted from the DNA of cells. The intensity of the light in organisms was stable, ranging from a few to several hundred photons per second per square centimeter surface of any living thing, until the organism was somehow disturbed or ill, at which point the current of light went sharply up or down. So, when taking these measurements with this exacting equipment, Pop discovered something amazing. When a medicine was applied to one part of a human body, a large change occurred in the number of light emissions, not only where he'd applied the ointment, but also in distant parts of the body. And, even more amazing, the size of the changes correlated in every location. They were the same. So Pop realized that he'd uncovered the primary communication channel within a living organism, which uses light as a means of instantaneous, or what they call non-local global signaling. The signals contained valuable information about the state of the body's health and the effects of any particular therapy. Cancer victims had fewer photons, for instance. It was almost as though their light were going out. But in most instances, when someone was ill or stressed, their light emissions go up. So healing is usually a matter of lowering light emissions to restore the body's equilibrium. Even more amazing, Pop discovered that these light emissions act as a communication system between living things. In experiments with a number of organisms, including human beings, he discovered that individual living things absorb the light emitted from each other and send back light patterns as though the two organisms are having a conversation. For instance, when he examined the light emissions between algae, he found that the light of each one was perfectly coordinated with that of its neighbors, as if each were holding aloft a tiny lantern on cue. Chinese colleagues 
of Pops who'd tried positioning two samples of the algae so they could see each other through a shutter also found that these light emissions from each sample were synchronous. They concluded that they'd witnessed a highly sophisticated means of communication. There was no doubt that the two samples were signaling to each other. Once the light waves of one organism are absorbed by another organism, the first organism's light begins trading information in synchrony, they found out. These conversations occur between different species, although the loudest and best are reserved for members of the same species. Living things also appear to communicate information via light with their surroundings. Bacteria, for instance, sends light back and forth with its nutritional medium. And the white and yolk of an egg actually communicates with its shell. This communication carries on even if an organism is cut into pieces. One study where a batch of string beans were cut and placed between 1 millimeter and 10 millimeters apart discovered so much light between the sections that it appeared as though the bean were whole again. Even though the string beans had been severed, the individual sections carried on their communication to the rest of the vegetable. This could well be the mechanism accounting for the feeling described by amputees with phantom limb sensations. The light of the body still communicates with the energetic footprint of the amputated limb. Pop and his research team were intrigued to discover that the emissions of an organism have measurable differences during daytime and evening, and also follow weekly and monthly patterns mirroring solar activity. He demonstrated something remarkable that I'll talk about in a future podcast and show you how to maximize. A living thing is constantly marking time with the sun. So what does this all mean? It means our perception of the world outside ourselves occurs through an invisible and constant conversation with our surroundings. We are having, if we were having a conversation verbally, we'd actually be having two conversations, one with words and the other with light. Pop's work demonstrates that with this tiny current of biophoton emissions, we create a quantum bond with our world. With every waking moment, we're taking in someone else's light. But are our thoughts influencing it? For our very first intention experiment, which was way back in 2006, we wanted to examine just that idea by carrying out a pilot study with Fritz Albert Pop. In that experiment, I got hold of 16 experienced meditators. We assembled in London, and we sent healing intention to four targets in Pop's lab, way over in Neuss, Germany. We chose two kinds of algae, a jade plant, and a woman, all of whom had been stressed in some way. Change of any sort 
is easier to see with something ill that you try to make well, which is why we needed to stress some of our subjects in some way. For instance, we gave our human volunteer, Anne-Marie Dure, three cups of coffee. Pop asked our group to send intention intermittently at regular intervals, so 10 minutes on and 10 minutes off, so that we would be running intention a few times every hour. If our experiment worked and intention did have an effect, once we plotted our result on a graph, it would create an identifiable zigzag effect. I didn't disclose any details about the woman to my group of meditators, and we didn't disclose to Pop and his team the actual times we'd sent intention to the subjects until after they'd taken their measurements. Measurements of all the targets showed we'd had a strong effect in changing the tiny light emissions exactly during the times we'd sent healing intention. In all three instances, our algae, plants, and human subject registered a significant decrease in these light emissions. And remember, when you heal something, the light goes down. During the meditation sessions, compared with the control periods. So we had indeed created a zigzag effect. Plus, some of our intenders, and remember we were all in London, picked up the fact that Anne-Marie sang as a hobby and periodically suffered with a blocked throat. They also picked up that she was having gut problems because the three cups of coffee she'd been asked to drink upset her stomach. I've gone on to do many intention experiments with biophoton emissions, including our earliest experiments on leaves and seeds. I worked with Dr. Gary Schwartz, the noted psychologist at the University of Arizona, who used a digital close-couple device camera system, called a CCD camera, ordinarily used in astronomy and capable of photographing the faintest light from distant galaxies. Such a device would enable him to create digital photos of the subtle light emissions from living things and to count them one pixel at a time. With this kind of equipment, Schwartz was able to test whether healing intention also generated light. He got hold of a number of healers and asked them to place their hands on the platform underneath this camera for 10 minutes. As the camera showed, a stream of light flowed out of the healer's dominant hands, almost as though it were flowing from their fingers. And this gives us an idea about conscious thought. Healing intention creates waves of light, and indeed among the most powerful or coherent light waves found in nature. So, amazing fact one. These light emissions create a highly ordered subatomic network. In quantum physics, quantum coherence means that subatomic particles are able to cooperate. These subatomic waves or particles not only know about each other, but they're interlinked by bands of common electromagnetic fields so that they can communicate with each other. They're like a a multitude of tuning forks that all begin resonating together. 
as the waves begin to sink, they begin acting like one giant wave and one giant subatomic particle. It becomes really difficult to tell them apart. Many of the weird quantum effects seen in a single wave apply to the whole. Something done to one of these waves will affect all the others. So coherence establishes communication. It's like a subatomic telephone network. The better the coherence, the finer the telephone network, and the more subatomic particles are there on the phone. Another way to think about coherence in the quantum world is a large orchestra. Although all the photons are playing together, they're still individual instruments able to carry on playing individual parts. Nevertheless, when you're listening, it's difficult to pick out any one instrument. In his experiments, Pop found that the human body had the highest level of coherence possible in nature. Usually, this kind of coherence is only observed in materials such as superfluids or superconductors that are generally kept in very cold labs, not in the hot and messy environment of a living thing. So here's amazing fact two. Our thoughts may have a scattergun effect, affecting everything in their path. Another of Pop's colleagues, a scientist called Edward von Weich, a Dutch psychologist, wondered how far this influence extended. Did a living thing register information from the entire environment and not simply between two communicating entities? Van Wyck placed a jar of algae near a healer and his patient, then measured the photon emissions of the algae during healing and intention sessions and periods of rest. After analyzing the data, he discovered that the quality of emissions significantly changed during the healing sessions in the algae as though it were being bombarded with light. So here's amazing fact number three. We affect things around us for good or bad, depending on our thoughts. Gary Schwartz's team did a study of 20 master energy healers sending intentions to one of each pair of leaves. First, they tried to lower the photon emissions. Then they sent intention to increase them. In a majority of the cases, the light was diminished or raised depending on the intention. So what's our take home from all of this? The first is that you're a leaky bucket. Your thoughts are leaking out and affecting everything around you. The second is that you can practice becoming a powerful intender by focusing and concentrating to create a highly focused attention to the present moment. The scientific evidence demonstrates that focused attention creates more coherent biophoton emissions and because of that, aids healing. How can you do that? By practicing the ancient art of mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness requires that you police the focus of your concentration and maintain that concentration in the present. With practice, 
you'll be able to silence the constant inner chatter of your mind and concentrate on your sensory experiences, no matter how mundane, whether it's just eating a meal, hugging your child, noticing some pain you're experiencing, or just picking the lint off your sweater. Be present and attentive to what's right in front of you, rather than what your emotions tell you you wish were the case, or only what's most pleasant. One good means of harnessing your mind to the present is to come into your body and feel your senses, what your five senses are experiencing. Be aware of all the smells, textures, colors, and sensual feelings you're experiencing. What does the room smell like? What taste is in your mouth? What does your seat feel like? Practice this religiously, and after just a few weeks, as the science shows you, you will become more sensitized to the present moment and be able to focus with a great deal of attention. That will come in useful when you start trying to use it for intention. So thanks for listening, and please do comment on this podcast and tell us how you're enjoying it. Take care now.